The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Before starting today's program, I want to take a moment to pay homage to a man that very few of you have ever heard of. At the same time, all of you have benefited from the things he has done. He served in the Army in the Pacific Theater in World War II with an artillery unit, participating in beachhead landings, among other things. He served honorably. He was committed to protecting this wonderful nation and the freedoms that it offers. He served quietly, spoke little about it, and lived the life of hard work, integrity, and commitment to things good after the war. So today, thanks to the generosity of many people, he was given the opportunity to see the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. as part of the Honor Flight Network, and I'm very grateful to them. I want to publicly thank my father for what he has given to his fellow man and express my appreciation to him for the example he gave us as he lived a life of dignity and honor. He is probably just now returning from Washington, D.C., and I'm looking forward to talking to him about the experience he has had today. Thank you, Dad. Our topic today is elder care, and we are very blessed to have as our guest Bradley J. Fragon. After completing his Juris Doctor degree from Washburn University in his home state of Kansas, Brad continues his education at the University of Denver, earning his Master of Laws degree in taxation. Practicing law for over 30 years, Brad has extensive experience in estate planning, probate, elder law, Medicare set-asides, special needs planning, and tax matters. Brad serves as president of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, treasurer of the Special Needs Alliance. He is a certified elder law attorney, a member of the Council of Advanced Practitioners, the the Colorado Bar Association, a fellow in the Kansas Bar Association, and a board member of the Colorado Fund for People with Disabilities. In addition to his practice, Brad is an adjunct professor at Stetson University College of Law, a nationally recognized speaker, author of numerous publications, including co-author of Fundamentals of Special Needs Trusts, and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, MSN Money, Kiplinger Retirement Report, and Bloomberg. He is recognized as a Colorado super lawyer and is rated AV preeminent by Martindale Hubble. So, Brad, welcome to our program. I am so grateful to you for taking the time to talk with our audience. Well, thank you, Sam. I'm, I very much appreciate uh, the invitation for being on your program, and thank you for the kind introduction. 
Well, I have to tell you, by the way, when I look at your picture and I look at this practicing law for 30 years, you must have started when you were 12. You sure don't look old <laughs> well, enough to I have 30. My, you know, that I started, uh, you know, right after kindergarten, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, but I, you know, I, I went to college, I went to law school, I got my master's and I started working. So, uh, so there, I, there was no uh, time off in between that. But uh, that's, I, I guess that's, uh, um, you know, part of in my, my, my genes that way too, so. Well, you know, these activities like uh, presiding over the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, these are not things that people get paid for, but these are things that people do to contribute to the general good. And I'm grateful to you for taking the time, using your experience and knowledge to um, improve and continue to grow to better levels in the area of elder law. Yeah, and my, you know, my involvement with, you know, we call it National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, we call it NALA for, for short, you know, was, uh, you know, as you read in my introduction, I'm a trust estate and tax lawyer, you know, and that's what I've done all my life. My, my father was, uh, you know, a, a lawyer, my brother was a lawyer, and, you know, I practiced it with them for a while, and my father did you know, traditional estate planning work. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose that all along that, uh, you know, we, we did, you know, what was classified now as elder law work. We we just didn't know it at the time, and there was no, uh, no term, you know, that was used like that to describe that type of work. But it, it, it kind of grew out of that traditional estate planning, uh, you know, practice. And if people ask me what I do, you know, I will tell them that I'm a trust estate and tax lawyer, but I have a holistic practice where, you know, I incorporate, you know, what is called elder law, and we can talk a little bit about that, you know, and talk about that more, and special needs law into that practice. So, uh, you know, there are elder law attorneys that have uh, different types of focus, but NALA is an organization of, of attorneys that you know, that attempts to, to, you know, educate lawyers in, in this area and, uh, you know, provide them with uh, outstanding educational opportunities and, and great networking opportunities for, for uh, you know, lawyers from around the country to, to meet and, and uh, talk about, uh, you know, what lawyers do. And, uh, and then also it's a great way of, you know, for us to be, you know, advocates for our clients on legislation at the, you know, from state matters to to national uh, uh, areas that are important to us, and and try to work with other, you know, uh, uh, organizations that are much much larger than NALA, you know, about you know being coalitions and uh, and uh, you know and working for the benefit of our for for seniors and people with special needs. Well, you know, it makes perfect sense that the area of estate planning would grow into the area of elder law, and I suspect that elder law has now taken on other areas of responsibility or concern as well. Am I correct there? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and when you talk about elder law, you know, for for that can be from, you know, what we just mentioned, the traditional, you know, wills, trust, you know, and power of attorney, uh, you know, documents, preparing those for clients. Certainly, there are, you know, uh, a lot of issues with, uh, 
uh, guardian conservatorship issues, uh, issues arising with elder abuse from financial matters and, and physical abuse to, uh, to, you know, advising clients on paying for long-term care services uh, if they require, you know, nursing home assistance. So going through all of those areas, and there are people that do, you know, litigation issues dealing with, uh, you know, nursing homeless litigation to discrimination in, in areas like that. But, you know, it's a, it's a broad base of, uh, of, of, uh, description of services that are typically provided to seniors. But, you know, that term elder law, you know, I, I often tell my clients that it's just referring to me as because I'm older, <laughs> uh, not to them, because, uh, you know, because most clients don't look at themselves that way. And in some ways, it, it is a, a term that uh, I don't know if it's the, the, the right term to use, but, you know, I've never heard of a better term as far as describing, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, really what the type of services that we're, we're doing, because I'll have, you know, certainly clients that, uh, you know, are well into their 90s and uh, uh, as healthy as can be and, and, and are people that are in their 40s and 50s and have, uh, you know, uh, early diagnosis of uh, some chronic uh, illnesses that uh, are creating a lot of problems from, for them. From, and, and so, you know, age is not so much the issue. It's, it's you know, dealing with those, those matters that, that, you know, can come up uh, later in life and, and trying to coordinate, you know, all of these different practice areas. And, and certainly if something comes into my office that is a, you know, very much a contested uh, litigation issue on a guardianship matter, you know, I'm, I'm going to refer that to an attorney that specializes in that more. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are, so each, each attorney may have their own, um, you know, um, uh, practice areas that they emphasize. But what, what, you know, what that, you know, when you see an attorney that belongs to NALA, you know, that is, you know, a, you know, an attorney that I, I always find that, you know, for, for consumers trying to choose an attorney, you know, looking at their experience, but also looking how much they get involved in, you know, whether it's the local bar association or national organization and seeing what they're participating at that level. And, 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 you know, and that tells you that, uh, you know, they're actively engaged attorneys who want to make sure that they're, you know, up on the latest laws and, uh, and, um, or, um, you know, keeping up in their practice areas. So one thing that a consumer may look at then is whether an attorney that they're considering is a member of NALA and another one is whether they have certification in elder law. Is that correct? That's correct. And some, uh, you know, in some states have various, you know, degrees about whether they recognize certification. So uh, uh, certainly the, you know, the certified elder law attorney is is a certification process that, uh you know, a, a another organization goes through that you have to go through to to become certified, and it's you know taking uh, going. You have to have so many years of experience and passing, uh, uh, you know, uh, having a peer review and passing exams. So it is one one indication that an attorney, you know, is certainly has more specialization at that level. And when I see, we call them CELAs for short, uh, short certified elder law uh-huh. attorney. 
that that tells me that attorney is, you know, at uh, has been practicing in this area for quite some time, and you know, and has passed those those uh, requirements to become certified. Is that a national certification or is that a state by state certification? That's a national certification, but each state may recognize. You know, like Colorado has limitations on what certifications they recognize. Some states have, you know, a state specialty too, but they may, you know, also you may also get that you can be, uh, you know, state certified in in certain areas. Colorado doesn't have any state specific ones, but Pasila is a national. You know, it's a national uh, a certification. Okay. Well, thank you. I know that there are a number of different things that we're going to get to through the course of the program. And uh, one of the things that I want to talk with you about is this book, Fundamentals of Special Needs Trusts. I am a neuropsychologist. I see patients with neurological disorders. These may be congenital, you know, a child that um, that is never able to achieve um, the ability to live independently because of some type of uh, a neurological disorder or acquired disorders, head injuries, and things like that. So uh, this area of law certainly applies to those things as well. And it's so frustrating for parents as they age and as their disabled adult child becomes 50 and they're in their 70s and on into their 80s, very challenging for them to figure out how to see to the continued needs of that adult child. So I hope that we'll have a chance to talk about that. We are going to go to a break in just a couple of seconds seconds here. And among the other things I also want to talk about is the interstate aspects of elder law, because we live in a mobile society. Uh, Children live away from their uh, older parents. So this, uh, hopefully this will be something we can include in our discussion. We are going to break now. Please stay with us and we will return with Brad Fragon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, 
Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Brad Fergon, who practices in Denver. I believe that's right, isn't it, Brad? That's correct. And he is president of NALA, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and uh, he is sharing his experience and expertise with us, and we're very grateful for that. Let's talk a little bit about estate planning. What does that concept mean, and how does one go about it? Well, estate planning, I mean, from, from an attorney standpoint, you know, when somebody comes into my office, you know, when we're talking about estate planning, that can be from, you know, the basic of, you know, writing their will uh, and, uh, you know, and, and determining about what should happen and how their property should pass, you know, after they pass away. And uh, and then we talk about how their you know their property should be owned to make sure that their will is uh, you know uh, will will control their final wishes. It could be involved in you know re- writing a revocable living trust for them. Uh, and so we can you know do do some some more advanced planning with them. And typically, revocable living trusts are 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 done to avoid probate. There can be other reasons for doing them and they are a good means to to provide you know a successor uh you know person that would manage their person's assets because a lot of times you know we we people talk to come in and want to talk to me about what's going to happen when they pass away and how do we plan for that but we also I tell them it's also is equally important to talk about you know what happens if they lose capacity or have diminished capacity and how we're going to plan for that and that may be through as i mentioned utilizing a revocable living trust or also talk about you know doing financial power of attorney documents where they can designate as a a agent to 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 do financial transactions on their behalf if uh, if they lose capacity or and talk about whether the document should be uh, you know triggered when they lose capacity or to be in fact once they sign the document and then also talk about uh, you know medical directives and whether that's uh, utilizing a medical durable power of attorney so they designate an agent or you know typically what's called a living will or 
or going through those, you know, those those decisions about, you know, those those documents because, you know, I always say that it's very very important to understand how your assets may be managed to make sure that there's somebody there to to step into that role if you cannot manage your assets because otherwise we may end up you know, in a court proceedings, if we don't have any of those documents in, in place. And sometimes we end up in court when we have feuding families no matter what, but a lot of times for most families, you know, doing that type of planning and thinking about lifetime decision-making processes and uh, what happens when you pass away or what we're going to talk about when, uh, you know, when we when we start, you know, doing your estate planning and and for some clients with you know more wealth then that may involve some estate tax planning with regard to that but but then and two with what you mentioned earlier Sam is about you know if they have special needs children you know uh, um, family members incorporating that process into the to the planning too so it's a lifetime you know, it's lifetime dealing with what's going to go on when you're when you're here and how your assets may be managed, and then what happens when you pass away, and and they both should be given, you know, a lot of equal attention as far as you know how we're what we're putting in those documents, and and more importantly, who we're going to put in control. Well, this um, instrument, a revocable living trust, that sounds like an interesting instrument. And I, I would like to ask if you wouldn't mind, Brad, would you define each of those terms? Revocable, which to me says somehow it can be revoked or reversed. Living, uh, wh- what that applies here and exactly what a trust is. Well, it's a great question. And they are, you know, and, and I often say that, you know, when, when as a lawyer, you know, we throw out all these terms. And sometimes it's, you know, I have to, we always have to be careful about these terms that, you know, make perfect sense to, to us, but sometimes to the, to the client sitting next to us, uh, you know, I, you know, they sometimes give me that quizzical look about what did you just say? So, you know, those (laughs) are exactly the, the questions you should be. And, and when I say revocable living trust, you know, that means that it's a, it is an agreement that you are, you know, you're creating during your lifetime, and that's where living, meaning that we create it during your lifetime. You can have a, you know, a trust under your will where that trust is what we call a testamentary trust, meaning it's not created until after you pass away. So the living means that you're writing the trust and creating it now. Revocable means that that there's, you know, as long as you are breathing and have mental capacity, you still retain the person writing the trust, creating the trust, retains the right to revoke it, amend it, terminate it, do whatever they want with it, as long as they've got that capacity and they're still living. Uh, so that's, you know, and revocable living trusts are used in a lot of scenarios, and that could be for, as I said, that, you know, we, we when I first started practicing law, you know, revocable living trust was the, you know, many, many years ago, my, you know, my father was doing revocable living trust when they first started, you know, uh, being utilized as a estate planning. They're, they're like will substitutes, meaning that we write in those trust documents what happens with this trust assets, the, the property that we put into this trust while you're living, who's to manage those if you don't, if you resign as trustee or don't have capacity, and how those, that, that, are to be used during your lifetime, and then where that property goes when you pass away, 
and we do that a lot for people that uh, you know they, they it's a you know I people always look at to me and talk to me about what's probate and they this this word probate you know strikes fear in people's lives here and and they have it makes me think of being on probation or something you know? exactly and and I say what probate is probate is is the legal process to transfer property from a deceased person to either the people named in the will and if there's no will then you know the state law is going to write a will for you it doesn't revert back to the state it just means the state is going to say where your property goes if you didn't write a will so because after you're deceased you know that person can't sign the deed to their house or they can't transfer their bank accounts and things of that nature so so that's what probate is and it is also management of, you know, going through that legal process to do that and, and, uh, and managing to determine if there's any final creditor claims. And, and you can have all sorts of fights in there under that, but, but typically most probates, and it depends on your state, you know, how complicated the probate process is. Like in Colorado, we have a very simplified procedures. It used to be in the old days, I would walk down files to the courthouse and file them. Nowadays, we do that basically all electronically. And, and unless there's some problem, you know, we don't show up in the courtroom and in front of the judge anymore. It's done, done, you know, through that, through that process. So those are, those are all things that, you know, that your attorneys are, is going to talk to you about. And, 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 you know, there's never from my standpoint, after doing this for 30 some years, you know, there's, there's no one size that fits all. And, you know, and so, so when somebody comes in, we're talking about, I'm talking to them about, you know, what's, what's, what's your goals? What do you want to achieve here? And, and talk about how the best way is to, to achieve that. And then with all of these decisions we have to do, it's, we still have to tell you to make sure that, you know, I can write somebody's will and I say, you know, like I have three sons and I can write a will that says I give all my property to my three sons equally. But if I title my property or own my property with one son as joint tenancy or I, I name my one son as a beneficiary designation under my retirement account or life insurance policy, that one son's going to take those assets to the exclusion of my other children, regardless of what my will said. So I often say that, you know, you're wasting paper if you don't coordinate the ownership of your assets with the documents you, you just have written. But as people age, I also will tell them that those power of attorney documents and having those in place and, and you know, and, and you know, they're, they're just more than... You know, the other thing I always find interesting, too, is that, you know, people will, will pull a form off the Internet and say, well, I'm just going to sign this form. And I always would tell people that, you know, I could put down, you know, 50 forms in front of you. You would have no idea as a consumer which one was right and which one was wrong. Uh, and, and those words mean something. And, and they have legal meaning. And so it's very important that you're having a discussion with an attorney who has done this a few times and, uh, you know, to understand what, what, 
uh, what your options are, what's the you know what's based upon my experience. This is you, you know will tell you this is the you know what I would recommend that you you consider in doing that. But you as the client, you know, I'm going to ask you specific goal questions about what you want to get accomplished here. At what age does um, a young adult or a set of young adults in a marriage begin to uh, uh, address estate planning? Well, you know, certainly, you know, uh, most, you know, once they have children, you know, it's really critical that they've done, they do that, you know, because, you know, we, we need to name, you know, who would be the guardian conservator for their minor children. So that's absolutely critical about that. I always say that every adult over 18 needs to have a power of attorney because we would never know when, when, you know, something could happen to us that, uh, we're in an accident or whatever that may cause us to, to not have capacity. And if you, you know, and what a lot of parents don't understand, especially for their children who are special needs children, that once that child is 18, you know, which in, in most states, that they're an adult and that parent no longer has the authority to make, you know, medical decisions on behalf of that, that's, that child. You know, they're an adult now, so if we have a special needs child that doesn't have capacity over 18 ends up in the emergency room, you can have a real problem if you hadn't gone out and, and, uh, and um, you know, if you needed to get a guardian conservatorship for that, that, that child, or if that child does have capacity, having them sign a medical directive over to the parent, you know, to, to deal with those emergencies. And people don't... People don't think about people dying out of order or having younger people having accidents or having those problems that, that come sure, up. Sure, because when we're young, we're invincible. Well, oh, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that clarification. And uh, when we're going to go to break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about the longer-term implications of some of the uh, structuring of the uh, estate planning as well. So we are going to go to break, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. 
Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to our program, ladies and gentlemen. We are here with Brad Fragon, a uh, practitioner of the law in Colorado, a teacher, a leader, and an author. And uh, Brad, again, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to be with us and to discuss these complex issues with our audience. We, You were talking about estate planning, and one of the things that occurs to me is that if estate planning is not done the right way, things can come up down the line. We always think about family conflict prior to and after the, the um, death of a loved one. But other things come up like Medicaid eligibility to cover nursing home expenses and things like that. Could you talk just a little bit about that? Sure, Sam, and and that's a great question because, uh, you know, and that's part of, you know, where I see when I talk about my practice of being able to have the discussion, you know, with families about, you know, those, all of these aspects and, and start talking to families about how they, you know, when they're faced with planning for long-term care. And, you know, and when we, when we people will start, you know, it's always, I always say it's, it, I'm sure it was a good idea at the time to name, you know, to call Medicare and Medicaid similar names, but now it just, you know, absolutely confuses people, the difference between those programs and, and who's eligible for what. And, and, you know, in most, in most, you know, seniors that they are, you know, they're Medicare eligible because they're receiving Social Security and Medicare typically will pay for their, you know, that pays for the doctor's hospitalization. They probably have some prescription drug plan about that. But it has very limited uh, uh, payment for for somebody going into a nursing home or receiving, a, you know, an assisted living or, or even, you know, assistance in their home. And it's very limited and it doesn't cover that. So when when individuals that have uh, situations or or uh, illnesses that require you know care in a facility, then you know it's either they're going to be talking about private pay, um, you know some some of our uh, you know you mentioned your father that were you know veterans uh, that they may be ineligible to some you know what we call a veterans aid and attendance benefit. Um, you know, a lot of people, once they're starting to think about and are faced with these issues about nursing home costs, they, they ask about long-term care insurance, uh, 
but usually once you have your to that point, you're you're not going to be able to 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 you know get long term care insurance. That's correct. So 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 Medicaid is the program that would pay for for long term care. Now, when I say, you know, now Medicaid is a federal program, but each state administers its, you know, the Medicaid program, and each state is going to have their own specific rules with regard to that uh, and, and, and what you have to do to get qualified. But, but for, for about every state that I know of, they have when there's a, you know, we call them the well spouse or the community spouse, there are certain protections that that spouse is allowed to keep so much of the property and, 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 and so much of the assets. And it's not where they have to go, you know, both spouses have to go bankrupt or, you know, for one spouse to go on Medicaid. So you need to consult with an attorney in your estate that's familiar with these rules, but, but there, you know, there are what we call spousal protection rules that allow, uh, you know, one, uh, you know, one, the, the well spouse to keep certain amounts of assets, uh, and, and the other spouse to go on, on, on Medicaid. And, That's such uh, an important point. You know, Brad, I have seen couples even go to the point of technically legally divorcing in order to try to uh, establish Medicaid eligibility or um, maintain assets or something like that. Yeah, and that's that. Certainly, I've seen that too. I, I've never had that. Never had the the need to do that. But again, that is based upon you know what your state law may or may not allow us to do. But what what we see is the biggest issue, whether it's for single people or for married couples, is that you know Medicaid is very concerned if you've given away assets and given away property. Right. And they have rules which. If you have done that now between spouses, that's always okay to do between transferring money back and forth between spouses. But once you start giving your property away to a non-spouse, whether it's a child or a grandchild or or some other uh, person, then the Medicaid rules are going to say you are going to have to wait a period of time to to receive these benefits because you gave this property away. And a lot of times people have, uh, you know, uh, you know, made these transfers and then they may have to wait up to five years to get Medicaid eligibility. But a good elder law attorney is going to talk to you about what those rules are and talk to you about, about whether you should be transferring your assets or, or not or the implications for doing that so you understand you know what the impact of those transfers may be may have um you know on your on your eligibility because you know nobody you know that comes into my office says you know I want to go to a nursing home and uh you know it's just unfortunately some situations where you know we don't have a family member that can care or that the spouse trying to care for that family member has you know simply worn out and and can yes. no longer care for them and that the home becomes a you know a very dangerous place for them 
Yes, it does. Well, thank you so much for that. I want to transition now into another area. It seems that a lot of elder law is about protection in so many different ways. I continue, Brad, to be amazed at the creativity of scam artists who find ways to get money from people. I I remember a specific person who had her entire retirement account of $350,000 or so taken from her. Um, There are people that, that thrive on taking advantage. Some people may have seen this movie, Nebraska, you know, which is an interesting portrayal of that. But um, uh, in fact, my neighbor came to me yesterday. He's an older gentleman. And he said he got a call from someone who said his son had been in Mexico. Now, we're here in Texas, and so we uh, have a close relationship with Mexico and the border, and um, told him his son had gone into Mexico, had been arrested, and if he provided $1,200, they could get him back out of there, you know. Well, my neighbor happens to have a son who's a Texas Ranger, so <laughs> the guy didn't get his money. <laughs> but but I have seen horrible things done. And so that brings us to the issue of capacity and competency and things like that. And these are tough issues to address, aren't they? Oh, they're very tough issues to address. And, you know, from the lawyer standpoint, you know, we are you know, we are focused in on you know, of course, we have questions about when I'm sitting here talking about with this client about whether they have capacity to make decisions, and and also too, so that's that's part of the issue. And can that client communicate to me what they want to get accomplished, and and do they have the ability to 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 you know to make informed decisions about their assets and their property and to care for themselves so that that's that's a you know that's going to be a difficult you know for uh, for the attorney at that point in time and you know and it takes some experience uh you know where i've certainly you know thought i've been talking to somebody who had capacity and uh, you know who, who in fact did not, and uh, yes, what, what uh, and exactly? It can't be just because of their age, or because of a lot of things about what they look like, or how they may walk into your office. That's correct. But, uh, That's it's correct. a difficult, difficult, can be a very difficult issue. What does guardianship mean to the lay audience? Well, the guardianship, you know, we have, you know, that's that's a court proceedings, and the court proceedings uh, is, you know, when there is an issue about somebody when I say, you know, uh, you know, whether they have capacity, legal or capacity, legal capacity or not, and and each state is going to have their definition about what that means, and and that's a legal term. And that is a term that has to be, you know, determination by objective evidence that this person, you know, and generally that's, that's talking about whether they have the, the, the ability to receive or evaluate information, uh, or to, you know, to communicate decisions and, uh, uh, about themselves and about their property. And, and, you know, and that's by, based upon a medical standard. So when you and, have and so guardianship, has, go ahead. Guardianship then is very different from power of attorney, isn't it? People confuse oh, those two issues. Yeah, the power of attorney is a legal document that people can sign, that where they appoint an agent to effectuate, to step into their shoes, to handle, you know, to 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 deal with their property and to deal with their making financial decisions on their behalf. 
a guardianship proceeding is a court proceeding to determine that somebody has lost capacity, and that is a you know a a you know because you are taking if somebody a court determines you not to have capacity, we've basically taken away all of your you know your constitutional rights of, as a person. You know, to determine your own self, your care for yourself, to make decisions about your property. So, it is a it is a, a high standard of uh, of evidence that has to be presented up to determine whether somebody has capacity or not. And a so, in other words, those those, uh, those rights are very protected and are not easily taken away. That that's correct, and uh, uh, you know, and and courts have become much much more. Uh, um, you know the evidentiary requirements have become much more strict, and and courts are much more attuned to these issues than they used to be about making sure that the person's rights are are protected. But that can work both ways. For you know, like you know, is that you can get uh, you know one uh, person to say a, a physician to say that this person does have capacity, and another one to say that they you know that they do not have capacity. So. Uh, you know, that can be, um, and you can look at whether they are, you know, being scammed or whether they're, you know, being taken advantage of, and those are certainly indications of somebody's uh, capacity or not. But we're sure. doing power of attorney documents to, for a lot of families, you know, we have where we can appoint another family member as agent, and, and there's no need to be in court because, you know, we have uh, the, the, you know, the documents in place to keep us out of court and to, to manage that person's assets effectively without court intervention. Well, thank you, Brad. And we are going to go to break now. Uh, stay with us, and uh, we will return in just a couple of minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us, ladies and gentlemen. We are back for our final segment of Neuromatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's, and we are here with Brad Fragon, who is the president of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. He is an author, a practicing attorney, a nationally recognized leader, and Brad, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you taking this time. A number of years ago, a lady came to my office, an older lady, and she said, uh, my husband is deceased. We never had any children. We had always planned on leaving our wealth, and they had had a, a lot of business success, so a significant amount. We had always planned on leaving that to our nephews and nieces. We've become really displeased with how they're living their lives and feel that they will just squander the money. I want to change the will. I want you to evaluate me to tell me whether I'm competent to change this will. And my first response was, if you're sharp enough to ask that question, you probably are. But we will go through the procedures to um, to document competency. And that, that was one that really has stayed with me over the years. You know, and that's that's a lot of times it's if you expect when somebody comes in and they're going to, you know, make some radical changes to an existing plan, um, uh, a lot of times that may be uh, something that it's good to have documented. It's always an issue, you know, as a lawyer is, you know, people, you know, you know, a, people have, you know, rights to say how I want to leave my property. And mm-hmm. how I want I want to do with their property, and and sometimes people are not making good decisions with their property, or good decisions are what they're you're trying to get accomplished. And you know I feel that it's my job as a lawyer is to explain the consequences of that, but you know they are still in charge of what their of their assets, so it uh-huh. could be a difficult situation. It really can. There are a number of circumstances that come up that involve multiple states. You know, one example would be uh, someone who lives in one state and owns a home but owns property in another state as well. My uh, dream of having some wonderful mountain property in your beautiful state of Colorado, for example. Another is where uh, the children live in one state and the uh, older individual or, or plural live in another state. And this leads to potential complications between states. So let me ask, first of all, and and you would have to, I guess, pass the bar in every state to be able to answer this, but how similar are laws in this area state to state? As far as the similar, as far as, you know, guardianship proceedings? Uh, yes. Those type of, those, you, that, you know, I, you know, you're right. I'd have to 
pass the law, you know, bar in, in each and every state. But but generally speaking, they're going to be very similar as far as the, the evidentiary rules to determine whether somebody should be, you know, under a guardian proceedings. You'll see in, in some states, like in Colorado, we have a proceeding for a guardianship. That means the control of the person. And there's another separate proceedings for a conservatorship, which means that that is the control over the person's assets. Now, in some states, they use the, the you know the guardianship interchangeably for that, so you'll see different term terminology. But the standard of proof is generally pretty pretty similar. But it, it really comes up, and you know, and that is something that you see more and more of it. You know, people used to stay in one place, but uh, you know now we have you know families are moving to different states, and it used to be in in some states it was a real problem that if you had a you know, a court proceeding in, in the state of Colorado, and now you were moving down to Texas, whether we'd have to go go through and do, a, you know, once they moved to Texas, have the Texas court go through the same process of determining whether this person is has capacity or not. And that was a great burden upon families and really, you know, was an impediment for families moving and, and moving individuals from state to state because of care needs or, or other situations. And, and fortunately, in most states have adopted this, you know, uniform uh, guardianship proceedings, uh, uh, which would allow, you know, the more easier transfer of a case from one state to, to another state without the need to go through a separate determination in the new state uh, about whether that person has capacity or not. But not every state, most states have, but not every state, you know, has done so. And you would certainly need to be talking uh, with an attorney uh, about that in the state that you're moving the person to to, to determine that issue. And, and each state also has different rules as far as, you know, they may have inheritance, you know, rules as far as, uh, you know, separate inheritance or state tax rules. So if there's property that's owned in, in one state, or, uh, may be subject to that state's inheritance tax rules or, you know, issues about having multiple probates in, in different states. If you own your dream cabin up in Colorado and still own your, your property in Texas, you could, you know, end up doing two separate probate proceedings in each state because of not planning for that situation. Well, that and that, as you pointed out, really is a burden. And, uh, you know, there are many areas of what we term reciprocity between states. If I'm licensed as a physician in this state, is that license accepted in a state over here, for example? But this brings up the Uniform Adult Guardianship and Protective Proceedings Jurisdiction Act, which basically, as I understand it, is a um, a law that has been passed. I think it's now in 44 out of the 50 states. I'm not 100% certain, but which would enable the um, decision made in state A to simply be registered in court in state B when that becomes relevant instead of relitigating the whole thing. Am I understanding that properly? Yeah, that's correct, and it's the most difficult pro- process with saying the full name of the act, which you did a very good job of there. So, uh, <laughs> um, but, but yes, that is, and nowadays, you know, like we have right now a case from, you know, that they're moving, you know, the individual from Alaska to Colorado, 
and uh, and uh, you know, and he's he's under a guardianship, and we are, uh, you know, we we file the proceedings here in Colorado, and the court authorizes in Alaska, and and it actually, assuming that no family members are objecting, that the process is. Uh, you know, works uh, uh, much, much better than it did in the, the past. But I think there are, you know, the, of those 40, you know, the few states that are not, there's some legislation that is pending to, to get that act, uh, you know. I do believe that is correct. But yes. not, there's still a few states out there that uh, haven't done it, and that's why it would be important before you, you know, family members are take, making that move to, to, uh, to uh, you know, contact an attorney in that other state to determine that. And that's a really important issue, too, with children with special needs, you know, because of that, because they may be in a relationship oh, yes. or, or the different rules associated with their eligibility for different programs from state to state, too. And, uh, yes, and, that's, and, uh, that's of another course. thing that... And and we yes. have a lot of we'll have you know where the parents may be living in Texas, but their you know their adult uh, child with a disability is in Colorado, and we will prepare the trust you know for the you know for the Colorado child up in Colorado. So the parents' estate plan that was written in Texas would would pour over into this trust for the benefit of their child sure. here. So sure. you know, that I makes such good sense. attorneys around the country all the time on these issues. And and of course a key word in all that is uncontroversial or uncontested because you know the person uh, a family could potentially contest it. Well Brad, thank you so much. You know, this time does go by so fast, and I feel that I have learned a lot, and I hope that our listeners have learned a lot as well, and I'm very grateful to you for taking the time to do this, and uh, I appreciate the contribution that you make to the greater good with your involvement with NALA. Uh, we uh, have an interesting follow-up program next week when we will be talking with someone who has an agency that professionally manages uh, guardianship-type situations in those cases where there is no one in the family who's willing or able or agreeable to managing that sort of thing. And I think that uh, our listeners will benefit from that discussion. And then the following week, a program that uh, we have been working on, that is attending to spiritual needs of individuals who have diminished cognitive capacity. The older individuals in this country generally uh, consider their religion and their spiritual beliefs to be significant, and this is an area that's easily neglected. So, Brad, once again, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you again one day. Sam, it's been my pleasure, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. We'll be right back. 